that of course as we move towards uh the inevitability that is christmas yes um, yeah it's it's been an odd year hasn't it that is um that's an understatement that is definitely an understatement i have had the worst luck with automobiles um car i was borrowing broke down and died uh tonight and found discovered a fresh hell which is car sickness in the back of a taxi for an hour-long journey where you can't take your face mask off to get fresh air into your lungs Whew. that's that's tough i do not wish that on many people i remember once catching a, a cab in uh germany that's what the uh, rental car i had had no spare tire and it got a flat uh, <laughs> uh it was a hundred euro cab fare um through the dark and uh, what a story that was. But uh, at least I didn't have to wear a mask, I guess. There, there is something kind of scary about the idea of a $100 euro fare in Germany, though. I mean, maybe that's just the effects of, like, hostel and things like that coming through. So, like, oh, shit, where are they going to take you? <laughs> the difficult part was we had to go from small town A to small town B, which is <laughs> 30Ks or so. Um, but how do you call a cab in a company in which in, you don't speak the language? <laughs> and they didn't have Uber or anything like that. You could use an app. There was no app. Mm. So that was an interesting challenge. Um, yeah. But again, I wasn't wearing a mask. <laughs> so, you know. That is, that is actually kind of weird thinking about that and going, oh, yeah, there was a time before Uber. Well, they have Uber in Germany, uh, mm. sort of. Um, sort of is the operative word there. <laughs> um, but they just don't have Uber in random small towns like mm. Zelfik and Rachtberg or whatever mm. the fuck it's called. So um, you were kind of fucked. Um, <laughs> it's the equivalent of you being stranded in Long Melford. <laughs> Except I can speak the language at least. Ah, that's what you think. <laughs> I mean, you know, I did, we speak a version of the Queen's. Only locals can speak the local language. <laughs> I guess in more positive news for, for regular listeners, um, mm. we have absolutely no idea and probably wouldn't care, but I am got accepted into a uni course for next year. Um, I had actually applied for a few weeks ago, which was mm -hmm. interesting because I haven't applied for a uni course in about 25 years and I have absolutely no frame of reference about what um, uh, what's involved or how likely one is to be accepted as a mature age student. I had to do a maths test um, because I hadn't. you had to do a maths and English test if you hadn't graduated high school recently. And seeing I graduated high school during the Clinton administration, um, I think you could say that wasn't oh. recently. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh, that that's, that's scary thinking about that. Paul Keating was prime minister <laughs> for those who were in the country at the time. Um, I think John Major was Prime Minister of the UK. Um, so it was a different time. So you, it was almost seven years ago. I had to do a maths test to to actually do the application. Though uh, I hadn't used any of these math skills for like trigonometry or anything in about 20 years. So uh, I just Googled the answers. They might be listening. I think everybody Googles the answers because I would cut and paste the question from the box and put it in Google <laughs> and it would pre-populate the actual exact wording of the question. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's an unusual thing. I think it's a ticker box exercise. But anyway, I will be going back to university next March, which will be an interesting challenge. What are you going to be studying? I'm going to be studying uh, psychology and criminology. Oh, okay. Well. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. We are moving one step closer to being 
what Travis would always want, which is a crime podcast. <laughs> I, yeah, there are plenty of those. There are plenty of those. <laughs> and they're very good. And I'm like, oh, these guys must do a lot of research. Fuck yeah. that. But it'll be, you know, our, our crime podcast will be sort of like, oh, yes. Um, and uh, we've uh, got repeat um, reports coming in of a serial shoplifter for Penny Sweets coming out of Geelong. And um, we went in to investigate. <laughs> well, yeah, I've had a little bit of a shoplifting going on in the Doncaster area of Melbourne. Um, <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut uh, up. <laughs> yes, it wouldn't be, oh, I don't think we would do very well on a crime podcast. But um, I've got no idea exactly what um, where it's going to go or anything, but it's... Um, nice the idea of doing something constructive with one mm-hmm. time. I was talking to somebody today going it's actually a rare thing once you've finished school for as long as we have mm. um, anytime you're not working basically becomes your time mm. so it's kind of nice in a way because you don't actually have any um, responsibilities that you know necessarily obviously you have responsibilities but you don't have to like, you know, you, know you, you don't really have it I should be studying thought in your head you can you yeah, can do stuff like this, or you can sit down and watch a movie like I did tonight, which you are going to hear about very soon, ladies and gentlemen, uh-huh. and everyone else who's listening, bots included. Yep, absolutely. Now, do you want to talk about this week's film? Um, yeah, let's talk about this week's chain movie, which was um, the Stephen McQueen directed Widows. He was also the director of last week's 12 Years a Slave. Um, <laughs> You, well, you picked out this one. I did pick this one because I'd heard good things about it mm. and I hadn't seen it. Mm. It has an 84 meta score. It has mm-hmm. a 6.9 on IMDb, which is a little bit surprising having seen it now, but it is that low. Mm. I suspect that might be a political 6.9. Potentially, yes. For the uninitiated, the 20th Century Fox blurb for The Widows, uh, which was in 2018 for those playing along at home, Four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forego a future, uh, forge a future on their own terms. I um. So the first thing that pops into my head when I hear about plot description, and we talked a little about it last week, is the um, Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss uh, DC film. Mm. Um, the kitchen, kitchen, right? Kitchen, which came out, uh, I think, late last year. Mm. Which was, I saw it on a cruise ship, and it was, I, and I didn't pay anything for it, mm. and I still wanted my money back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was terrible. Um, I'm told the original DC comics actually quite good, but you know, um, mm. that that's probably kind of part of the course in the DC universe these days. Um, this though, this is how you do it. I would also like to go so far as to say. Producers of Ocean's 8. This is how you do it. To the Paul Feigs of the universe, this is how you do it. Uh-huh. This is a great movie. I really, really liked this. Um, this has an incredible cast to start with. We, we've done the yep. right thing. We actually mentioned the synopsis of the film. Straight mm. up for a change. But the cast, <laughs> let's just quickly cover them off because everybody in this cast is amazing, doing mm-hmm. fantastic work. And I feel like the fact that if you're stars Viola Davis, mm-hmm. and Viola Davis, you look around on the set of you, you've got Liam Neeson, John Bernthal, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, Robert Duvall, Colin Farrell, um, and that's just scratching the surface. Um, Daniel mm-hmm. Kaluuya, um, Jackie Weaver's in there, yeah. Um, 
and, uh, and, there are, and that's just the, the, the bigger name actors at, at the stage. There'll be other names in there you'll notice mm. that you recognise. And that kind of quality, and everybody's at the absolute top of their game here, and mm. you're going to raise your game as well if you're around that kind of talent. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Everybody is just batting 100 in the use of baseball mm. <laughs> um, terminology. It's really everyone's at the top of their game. Huge props to Viola Davis here. She fucking owns the picture. She plays the role of Veronica, yeah. whose husband, Liam Neeson, was kind of the leader of the gang, mm-hmm. who we talked about in the synopsis. The, the, uh, the dead husbands were sort of a gang of, of robbers. He was very much the leader of the gang. He is killed in the um, in the heist at the start of the film mm-hmm. and um, and leaves her nothing but, a, uh, I guess, a notebook, which details his past, uh, mm-hmm. his past heist and his next heist, the plans for his next heist. Which basically yep. kicks off the plot of the um, hmm. women um, having to um, how to sort of do their own thing. Um, but Viola Davis, my God, she this like- movie hangs on her; it's on her shoulders entirely, and she carries it. With so a plum. Yeah. And you go back and look at her and go, she is. I arguably, I think the most talented actress in the industry at the moment, the hottest. Hottest in the midst of like doing some of the best work because she commands the screen every time she's on it. Not just in this movie, but she was um, she was powerful and scary in the much maligned Suicide Squad. I'm gonna say I hated that movie, hated it. She was good, and she. Mm. I'm so pleased that um, James Gunn's bringing her back as like Amanda Waller in the next one. Mm. So um, she deserved a significantly better film than that. Yes. I think there's um it's it's quite interesting. One of the movies that she uh worked on a couple of years ago was Fences with Denzel Washington, and I kind of feel like there's there's a lot of similarities on the way they command the screen. She isn't like she never seems to play these over the top, really hyper accentuated characters or anything like that. There's always this kind of cool reserve to her and she uses silence so very well and just her physicality. And I got, a, I feel like that's something that Denzel does um, particularly in his later movies to real great effect. Um, but she is, th- this whole movie is absolutely hung on her. And if you don't, believe her the movie would fall i 100 percent agree um she she's kind of well known for playing a hard ass i think like the metal wall is kind of a badass right she's the yeah antagonist of that film and that's just i'm just picking that one because like i think that's the, probably the most memorable thing i've seen her in um mm. recently um and i think she kind of looks and i think she was on law and order a bunch of times as well mm. and i think she plays a badass kind of hard ass character on that and mm-hmm. one of the things i really enjoyed in this film is at the start we see we have the we have scenes of her uh, very tender scenes of her and Liam Neeson mm. um as husband and wife basically in bed together not, not a sex scene though just husband and wife enjoying you know basically kissing each other and being in love um but not in an erotic way and mm. we see that intercut between that and scenes from the, the heist in the midst of going wrong which mm. ends up killing um, the Liam Neeson's Harry along with the the rest of the gang, and mm. again, let's just say, that's a side of I don't I I mean I, I by no means am I a Viola Davis expert. I haven't seen everything she's done, but I don't recall her doing scenes like that before. And then later in the film, when that facade cracks, mm. 
and she actually a lighter side of her comes out and you're like wow and it she she plays it brilliantly in the film and it's perfectly shot in time but again it's like it's a whole new side of our actress and that character we haven't seen before yeah and i really so i can't speak highly enough for her and the fact it um she didn't get an oscar nomination for this mm. that is a absolute travesty i think for for me this movie is Again, it is really excellently directed by Steve McQueen. He's he's shown particularly. I loved that opening disaster of a heist that we get into cut throughout the first like ten fifteen minutes of the movie. It was action packed. It was great. You got this sense of character of the gang, which is very slowly eked out through little vignettes. Essentially, um, it just felt really kind of heart throbbing and boom and powerful but then it was intercut with these really quiet moments it's a really bizarre paced movie for me i don't know whether i would recommend this to people because it's not an action movie it's not a drama i don't i don't know how i would really i genre. would recommend it to people but i would be at the same time expecting a significant number of them to come back and go that was boring or something. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah. That, would, that would not worry me for one sec because I think people should be exposed to this kind of shit mm, because agreed. I know people who kept me and they're going to kick my ass for saying it, but people who enjoyed Ocean's 8, um, mm. which was a terrible film, an objectively terrible film. And um, this is exactly, and I sort of said at the start, this is exactly what Ocean's 8 should have been. Mm -hmm. um, it Yes, it is a bit slow, but really does spend a lot of time actually building characters. Well, that's what, a, what this is. It is a character movie. And we actually learn a lot. I mean, I, and actually, I actually kind of feel a little bad in a way because we learn a lot about Viola Davis as Veronica, which is fantastic. The mm. other character who we really get in touch with and learn a lot about, and actually by the end, are really kind of really, uh, really into was, was Elizabeth Debicki's Alice. And that's mm. the second film we've talked about her in recently. Cause we yeah. talked about her in Tenet. I had no idea she was Australian. Um, there you and, go. And I didn't. She's been. And then I look her up, and I'm like, oh my god, I've seen her in so many things. But yeah. I, I just, I just hadn't actually twigged that she was somebody worthy of taking notice to. But I, I think the way Nolan and Steve McQueen here have actually shot her, in the sense that she's really fucking tall. Yeah. Um, she's like she's um one meter ninety centimeters, so she would tower over me and you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that she towers over John David Washington. In Tenet, she towers over Jackie Weaver, who essentially plays her mother in this. Mm. Um, and she towers over pretty much everybody else in the cast as well. Um, and that's um and that's genuinely fascinating. Um mm. and and it and they're just like a it, it looks a little unusual to start with. It's very mm. noticeable because it's very unusual that that mm. happens. We've got a spammer in the uh in the chat, by the way, which is exciting. We do we don't do. <gasps> oh, um, I want to become famous. I want to become famous. I want to become famous. <laughs> you know it's uh, it's true. Well, look uh, at that. our bots. We we our, we are good to our bots. Our bots are talking back to us. I know it happened. <laughs> it finally happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as I say, like it's unusual that they shoot it that way. Like very very rarely would mm. you you actually have uh, your star male actors being towered over by their female co-stars. I think yeah. his stories about the way they've shot Tom Cruise in yeah. situations with lifts and in, you know, platforms so he doesn't look shorter than his um 
his uh, female co-stars. Um, and, and it's actually really noticeable and really interesting. And, and like, so she kind of stands out, but I, I mean, aside from the way she looks, which she is gorgeous, mm. um, the, to her Alice's ca character is really interesting and she's sort of her journey and she's got a bit of an arc in there and we spend a lot of time with her. I feel yeah. bad, though, that we did spend significantly less time with Michelle Rodriguez as Linda, mm. who I was like, this is a very interesting character. She has a wonderful moment with uh, when she was trying to do something to set up a heist and she ends up in the house of a man whose wife passed away recently. Yeah. And there's a really fascinating, I won't spoil it, but there's a fascinating scene between her and that guy. Mm. And I'm like, wow, there's something interesting going on with Linda, but we spend so little time with her. And this, this is quite a different role for Michelle Rodriguez that we oh, get. She is so often either the... Uh, sort of like the love interest that can look after herself or um, a second tier action actress in a terrible resident evil style movie. And it's like, she's, she has ha had these moments in her career where she's actually been able to really prove that she is very talented. And this is one of those opportunities where she I does a same, lot, with very little. I had the same thought. I'm like, this is what I want from Richard Rodriguez. And, oh. I have a request, mm. that, and if, if I can have the controls for another week, I would like to go to a Michelle Rodriguez film next. Sure. Um, now, well, if you, you, you obviously will have a next two, but um, this film inspired me to go back and say, as you're right, she always plays the same character now, really, and I don't know if it's because it's what she likes or it's just because she's typecast, but she kind of plays the hard-ass, the military chick. You mm. know, I'm thinking Fast and the Furious or in Avatar. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great for her, right? I'm sure she's on a good thing there and she makes a shit ton of money from those movies. Um, but um, I, I, you're right. You, the, the film I'm thinking of, and I'll I'll reveal it at the end, she, mm. she actually was the one that made me stand up and go, oh, okay. And yeah. it's actually a film she acts in and she doesn't do that very often anymore because she doesn't have to. And I yeah. think that's a damn shame because she's got talent. Yeah, 100%. She is... Um there there was just this wonderful level of tenderness to her that she never gets to really portray in any of the movies that she typically does now and she does it so well and it i think one of the reasons why it's so affecting and affecting is that she does always look and the way that she talks she sounds like she's strong and composed and together and understanding so when she does have these moments where she is allowed to show this weakness or her character kind of breaks down it it feels that more heartbreaking because the that strong facade drops it's yeah it's it, wonderful what did you make of um colin farrell I liked him. I, I always seem to like Colin Farrell. I think he's a really talented actor. I think he's going to be fantastic as Penguin in the Batman movie. Um, but I kind of felt like it was a bit par for the course for him. It 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 was kind of a, I don't know, that kind of character. feel like I've seen it a lot. Um, he sort of a really, politician character. Yeah, he didn't really have much opportunity to do much, but the scenes where he is chewing the scenery with Robert Duvall, fuck those two together, that, that father-son banter and bullshit and, and fighting, it was 
great. Yeah, words were great on screen together. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I know we're concentrating a lot on the acting here, but it was so good. I just feel like I have to. Mm. Yeah. And the other one, I guess the other real standout for me, I sort of covered him off before, is Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, he's fast becoming one of my favorite actors. He yeah. was amazing in, in the episode of Black Mirror who he was in, uh, mm -hmm. One Million Merits. Um, he was incredible in um, in Get Out. I know you didn't care for it as much as I did, but I think you'd agree he was good mm -hmm. in it. Yeah, uh, he was. He was still really fucking good in the black in the Black Panther movie. I was so glad to see him getting big roles. Yeah. And in this, he plays like the um, sort of dead-eyed psychopath, um, yeah, sort of gangster, brilliantly. Like he is terrifying. Mm legitimately terrible the sequence where he's uh kind of interrogating kevin j o'connell's bobby welsh who's um paralyzed from the waist down and he's just stabbing him in the legs and just kind of seeing where the pain starts it's like that's just that's psychopathic that's messed up yeah <laughs> jeez and before that is a scene where he 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 um he sort of he say he sort of interrogates two i guess you'd say um of their goons Mm. and who they caught rapping in the back of the church yeah. or something yeah. and then he makes them start rapping again before taking care of business i'll just leave it at that and let you discover how he does that but yeah it's like oh god he is really good in this i can't i don't want to overstate it but i think i think he's he's maybe one of the actors of his generation i think he's going to be mm -hmm. i don't know why he's not a big star yet i i i think he's wonderful um but yeah he's he's fantastic in this film yeah. Um, one of the other things I guess I picked up on this film, and I've kind of sort of hinted at it a few times, mm. is I guess the politics of it, and that's why I hinted again at the start. It's got a six point nine on IMDb, mm. and maybe because it is a, I don't want to call it a female empowerment film because I don't think it is, but some mm. might view it that way. Mm. Yeah, the all female casts, you know, in this day and age, it's it could be seen as a. Yeah, a, a a political statement doing that, which is kind of crazy. Um, but uh, I guess what I what I one of the things I say on this show a lot is that, and you know, we've been I've been accused of being a misogynist before because I didn't like you know to go back again. I didn't like the twenty sixteen Ghostbusters reboot. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't like the Ocean's Eight reboot thing, and I've said many times I don't think rebooting. A male a film originally starred males, only starring you know, gender swapped. Mm. I don't think that's genuinely progressive. Mm. I don't think that's genuinely diverse. I don't. I think that's window dressing. Yeah. I think it's tokenism. Oh yeah. well, we can't actually think of real right good characters for female actors. Amazing yeah. female actors like Melissa McCarthy or Kristen Wiig. So we'll just recast them in amazing female roles. Yeah. So roles that were amazing the first time for men. And then we can say we tick that box saying we're doing diversity. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that isn't right. You, you can create incredible, amazing, powerful female characters, compelling mm. female characters, and make a film about them. And anyone who says you can't, just go and watch Widow. This isn't. This is based on a, a TV, right. show, a British TV show, mm. um, written by Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl. But mm -hmm. I mean, he's gone and picked them up and moved them to an American setting. He's written three of the most incredibly uh, complex and interesting and powerful female characters that I can remember for a very long time. 
Mm. And I wanted to see more of it. Like I, I would sit down and watch a whole movie about and it. And all three of mates. all three of the main female characters, they have a very good arc throughout all of it. We talked about Elizabeth Debicki's character and just going from the really fucking twisted conversation that her mum has about um basically becoming a, a hooker for hire for high class guys and things like that. And so like, oh that they get looked after. Um to being at the where she where she buys gun uh, guns from, and she starts realizing that the her look and the the way that she can speak in a, in a different accent, she can use those and weaponize those to get what she needs from people, and it's slowly morphing that character and just growing. And Viola Davis' character very much goes through um, a story arc where she does kind of go through this roller coaster of revelations from liam neeson's character through to being her own whole self it's that you they're utilizing females to create these interesting compelling stories rather than going oh yeah we're going to gender swap these people and hmm oh because they're women they're obviously going to be interested in the royal gala no they're going to be going on that fashion show to steal jewelry women like jewelry right fuck off women can if if you want to do it just go you know what they can they can go and try and uh, steal from a casino as well just one up the men will really fucking uh, stick the finger up to them do anything it doesn't have to be that stereotypical female centric MacGuffin. do anything make it use make it interesting for the characters that's all you need to do and this actually film does deal with the fact it isn't just like yeah. hey here's a bunch of really cool female characters doing cool cool gangster shit they have to deal with the fact that they're women yeah it's an amazing scene where we're like why are you doing this and it's like you know why do you think we can do this yeah we're not gangsters it's like you know because nobody thinks we have the balls to do it Yes. You know, we have to start acting like men, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's, it actually is part of their art. Part of the story is the fact they are women and they are treated differently. Mm. They have different expectations. And in effect, they weaponize that fact. Yeah. Uh, that, that to actually allow them sort of a, a element of surprise almost. You no know, one's going to suspect yeah. them because they are women. Um, so I, uh, if anybody ever comes to me again and tries to call me a misogynist because I didn't like Ghostbusters or I mm. don't like gender swapped, I mean, now they're talking about doing a gender swapped version of Die Hard with Charlize Theron. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Charlize. I think she's an amazing actress. I'm so mm. disappointed she's not going to be starring in another um, uh, Mad Furiosa. Mm. Furiosa, we're going with somebody else. But um, eh, but no, I don't want to see a gender swapped Die Hard. I like the Die Hard that there is. And, yeah. you know, go, I mean, she had an amazing action film herself with Tommy Blonde. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you go out and create actual roles, actual female characters that they can own that are their own. It are just gender swap roles. So yeah. this uh, this film does actually deal with politics. Mm. It does deal with female angle, the angle that they are women and they are treated differently and there is misogyny in the world. It mm -hmm. does deal very heavily with the, um, the racial elements in there as mm -hmm. well. And there's a large degree of classism in there as well, yeah. um, which we could be here all not talking about the politics, but it's there. But yeah. it's done in such an intelligent and, and and entertaining and smart way. It's not air going, it's not Star Trek. It's not <laughs> Discovery going, look, they're women. We're diverse. We're diverse. Look at all the diversity. Yay. It's done in a clever, subtle, and entertaining way where you don't feel like it's being shoved down your throat. It doesn't um it doesn't outshine the plot. Mm. 
It's part. It, of, it, it the serves the, the characters. Yes. It serves the plot. It's you know, as as you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, we really enjoyed this movie. Um, I even think that there was Liam Neeson is an interesting character um, ac- actor. I mean, because he has got some phenomenal roles that he's had in the past and he is a very competent actor but he's very much kind of fallen into there seemed to have been a bit of a trend for actors 50 to 65 would suddenly do that aged action star going against the the odds sort of things and obviously you think about his movies taken and stuff like that and you know in very intelligent, well well planned out mastermind criminal. That's not really too far beyond the realms of stuff that he's done before. But rather cool. Yeah. But still, he plays with this well and he under underplays the expectation that I think I was expecting from Liam Neeson in that kind of role. And it serves very well. And it it again fuels the 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 it's the driving force behind so much of what viola davis does with her character and what she goes through and how she copes with it i I, I wish i could say more mm. about that but i don't want to spoil anything Mm. if somebody's listening hasn't seen this film i don't want to give spoils i would like to give a quiet shout out to john bernthal who's in this movie for about two minutes um (laughs) for such a high profile actor it's kind of a little bit like ah (laughs) <laughs> a little bit more john but okay um yeah. he gets that quite a bit actually for a few minutes and then oh, he's gone um <laughs> yeah like i i'm 100 percent with you this is this is a, a, a wonderful mm. wonderful film and the fact that mm. it was ignored by the academy is, is disappointing but uh, we are all the richer mm-hmm. for um for having had it and having now seen steve mcqueen's last two features i think mm. um I think we're in a position to say he could be arguably one of the hottest filmmakers going around today. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, it's a, it's a bright, interesting future for him because obviously there's, I think just going off of this and 12 years a slave, both have got social messages behind them very obviously. And they both wear them very, very openly on their sleeves, hat uh, hat in hand kind of thing. But he also, fuck, does he do good characters? He really does, and he understands yeah. character. He's into, I mean, yeah. we've had this conversation before, like about David O. Russell, because I'm not interested in character, mm. I'm interested in story or whatever it was he said about American Hustle a few years ago. Yeah, or or, or Nolan for that matter. We talked about it with Tenet a few weeks ago. Yeah, he had zero interest in developing the characters. He, you know, he didn't even have a name. Was protagonist. <laughs> um, so I mean. I, I guess it's, it, it's a relief for me to see somebody back. Mm. Uh, this is my kind of filmmaking. Like with mm, Tarantino, fanboy, Tarantino fanboy had on us. One thing Quentin does well, he's interested and he's in love with his characters. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe too much. Um, mm. but, um, <laughs> you know, Steve McQueen, a very different kind of director, but he also is really interested in his, mm. the people in his film. Um, and uh, I'm terribly curious now to see the documentary he's making whenever it comes out. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating change of direction for him. Yeah, like I said, I don't know if I would recommend this to people because I think it is a 
challenging movie to watch, but I think it is a an incredibly rewarding movie to watch, and it is a very important movie to watch because this type of movie is not common, and it is this sort of stuff where we really get to see those actors push themselves in interesting ways that are not Oscar bait. This is not an Oscar bait movie, but they are delivering Oscar worthy performances from a to z of the cast number cast crew it's it's, it's top-notch stuff you're 100 yeah. right and it's yeah. i would i would differ in the sense i would recommend it to people um but i was the difference would be i, I i'm quite happy to to recommend a film and if they hate it then that's fine <laughs> <laughs> um i think they're richer for having seen it agreed agreed so where are we going next? We're following Michelle Rodriguez. You said you teased. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, so I, the, the film that it made me think of um, when I was watching this was her film debut in 2000, the film Girl Fight. Oh, yeah. And she broke onto the scene in a really big way with that film. That film, I, I don't know if it was um, if it was uh, Sundance or, or where or the festivals. So it kind of got a bit of a, a bit of publicity. Yeah, and it really came out of nowhere because it was her debut, and she's really, really wonderful. And it is kind of a sports film. It's about boxing, um, and I think I know when I saw it back in the day, it sort of made me stand up and go, "Wow, I can't wait to see what that fantastic Michelle Rodriguez does." And while I suggest she certainly had a very successful career, mm. uh, in, she's the key star in one of the biggest franchises in Hollywood. Um, yep. I don't think it's ever she's. I don't. We talked about it. I don't think she stretches herself a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. Girl fight. Um. I, now I'll put my hand up and say I haven't had a look at how easy this is to find. It so is not we, anywhere legally to stream. There we go. So we um. Well, what do you reckon? You are. Are you comfortable to um? Um. I'll uh, certainly do. I'll certainly do my best to find it. But maybe we'll set up an alternative just in case. Um. Tell you what. You pick an alternative. If we can find a copy of Girl Fight, we'll go that way. Welcome to Australia, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, you know, like I hear, I would like to pay to watch your film. No, mm-hmm. no yep. pay. Oh, oh, sorry. You, you, you literally do not service this country w- with a legal way of getting your movie. Yet everywhere else in the world does. Okay, right. Well, hmm, there's a reason why we we're made of colonists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, just to be clear, I, I um. For the throwback, Susie and I watched uh, an, a film called Fortress this week. Mm. Um, Christopher Lambert starred in it. You literally can't get it. You can't buy it. Oh, fuck. I remember that movie. Um, yeah. yeah you, can't, you can't get it anywhere. The only place I could literally find it, it the whole film's on YouTube. Um, so, you know. Um, There's no I other option. It, I didn't put it there. And, you know, if, it was, if it's so important to you, then, you know, sell it to someone so i can so i yeah. can pay for it for you but uh absolutely anyway so um it happens and uh we will attempt to find a way to legally view girl fight and should we not how would you you can give you a second here to to take you, you somewhere you different. mentioned it already and i have not seen this movie um it is one by one of my favorite directors so it is definitely one that i am going to leap at this opportunity yeah. for an excuse to watch it and that is gone girl Oh, yeah, that David Fincher film. I, I mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, that gives us a lot of possibilities for spin offs. There's a few different people in that one. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we have it. So we are going to attempt to find a copy of Girl Fight mm-hmm. if we can. 
If not, yes. we'll go and I'm sure we'll have much more luck finding Gone Girl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not on any streaming service, but we can buy it and rent it at least. That's a start. Yeah. Um, you know, if DVD stores are still around, you could probably find most of these films. But anyway. Well, there, there is um, a place that I'm not going to give them free promotion. Don't be silly. But, you know, they have a lot of yellow and black and they like to plaster sale everywhere. Um, but... We'll we'll definitely have something to talk about. One of those two movies for sure, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. So it's a surprise for next week. We'll be um we'll post it really, really keen. You really want to know what's going on. We'll try and remember to put it on the Facebook page ahead yes. of the show. So if you're you like watching the film as well, or something, I don't know. Yeah. Yes. It's a weird watch along session. <laughs> Maybe you have a couple of girl fight at home. I don't know. Yeah. Um just share your link. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring it, you know, yeah, share the DVD and we can all watch it on Zoom together or something. Um, <laughs> I think Zoom have blocked that. I tried doing that for the, the, um, the, the throwback the other day and it wouldn't work. Um, bastards. Uh, anyway, so that's next week. Mm. Can we right. have a look at that? Um, well, I'm just going to keep going because he's writing. Um, <laughs> we talked a little about it last week, but I'd like to talk about the stand. Mm. Um, this is the new short run mini series TV show thing mm-hmm. um, from uh, I think it's from uh, HBO maybe in the states. I'm not sure, but Showtime. it's uh, the new Stephen King one. The Stand, mm. uh, based on his epic, gigantic book, um, was converted into a mini series back in the nineties, which is really and then converted cool. to the year 2020. Uh, and it's fairly prescient timing. So uh, after the world is in ruins due to a man-made plague, a battle of biblical proportions ensues between the survivors. Now, this is a nine-part series mm-hmm. for the one and only season that we have at the moment. And the first episode landed last week. As I said um, on the show last week, it's landing in Australia in about a month on Prime. Mm-hmm. I refuse to wait that long because fuck you. Uh, sorry tell like it's on cbs on the cbs um streaming service in the states it was on star trek originally um but anyway uh so i i found it via other means Mm. and the first episode is called the end and deadly man-made virus captain trips ravages the world's population a number of survivors immune to the virus gather in boulder colorado Mm -hmm. stars people you might have heard of james marston Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander Skarsgård is in it very briefly. He's going to be in it more as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg is in it as Mother Abigail, if you remember the book or if you've seen the TV show. Yeah. Um, she's um, historically bad choice so far for me. You know, there's some people you cast. We talked about it last week with um, Brad Pitt in, in 12 Years a Slave. It's like, oh, it's Brad yeah. Pitt. Oh, yeah. it's Brad Pitt. Every time he's on the screen, it's just, oh, it's Brad Pitt. Um, and not to say that Whoopi is a bad actress. I mean, she she has an Oscar for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, she was a very fine actress once upon a time. She doesn't yes. work in acting a whole lot anymore. And now she's just famous for being Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of felt like stunt casting to me. I was like, every time mm. she was like, very few times she's on screen. I'm like, it's really distracting. Mm-hmm. It also pissed off a lot of people who don't like her politics. Mm. Um, so it's getting, a, this has got a 5.6.9. On IMDb, this episode, the whole series has a 5.6 at the moment. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, because of the politics involved. 
interesting. Uh, uh, there's a couple of casting choices in there that are th- throwing up some interesting um, social politics. Like yeah, I see that Amber, Amber Heard is in it as well. And I guess the main people, one of the people object to of a, the fuss between her and Johnny Depp is um, mm-hmm. upset a lot of people, and uh, they don't like the fact she's in this. And I'm not going to comment on that because yeah. uh, you're not really following it. I don't care. Um, yeah. J.K. Simmons and- in it in a, in a wasteland okay. role. Um, in that he's in it, he's a fairly he's only in it for about 10 minutes. I'm like, who has JK Simmons and they waste him in 10 minutes? The voice of Brian Cranston as the president. Um, okay, um, (laughs) I overall was pretty disappointed in the first episode, to be honest. Mm. Um, for me, um, the plague element of the book and the TV show original story is one of the more interesting ones. Mm. And I guess rush, 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 blow over it quickly as they humanly can. Really? And really rush over it. So the plague and stuff happen. Um, there's – it jumps back and forward in time quite a bit. Uh. Basically, there are flashbacks and there are flash forwards. There are flashbacks in flashbacks. Um, and it's – I know the story reasonably well because I read the book – 25 years ago or something. I've seen the TV show a couple of times. Mm. I remember it enough that I can sort of follow the story. I don't really fully remember who all the characters are for such a long time since I read the book. Mm. So we don't really spend a lot of time with many of them. We spend very minimal time with James Marsden, who is basically requisitioned, for want of a better term, by the military because he's immune to the virus. Mm. And you know he's the only person who kind of survives. Um, we have um, uh, who Harold. We meet Harold Lauder, played by Owen Teague. He's actually quite good in this. Um, mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time with him. He's a very angry, incelish character. Mm. Um, he's probably the character we spend the most time with throughout the episode. Um, and, and I like what they're doing with him. But again, I don't really remember the character, and so I can't. I can't make an objection about how he's being treated in the reference to the book, but I was kind of like, mm. okay, he's going to be kind of a, an antagonist. We can see he's going to be one of the, the, the bad guys. He's kind mm. of dick. And he comes across as very dickish mm. um, in, in an interesting way. Um, but we're constantly kind of flashing forward. Oh, here's how James Marsden came into the picture. But, like, we'd already met James Marsden, right? Like, so we're already hanging out with him, stuff's happening. And then, like, after five, ten minutes of that, when we flash back to find out exactly how it was that he came in contact with the virus initially. And mm. it doesn't actually tell a linear story. Like it starts here and, you know, basically I won't be too spoilery because it's been the book exists, the TV show mm. exists. Basically it, the virus escapes a, a government research facility when mm. one of the guards gets scared and, and runs and tries to save his family. He yeah. basically takes the virus out of the lab and into the wider populace. But we don't get that. That is how, that's how the episode ends. The episode, Wait, what? Ends, the episode ends with that happening. So we know there's a virus, people are dying, things are happening. We're meeting James Marsden, who's he's being researched by government scientists and stuff's happening. And then, you know, they all start getting sick and dying. I'm really not spawning much. Like, it's really all out there. You know, you can, you don't know the story. But um, then we kind of, if the episode ends, like, with how did you know you know how did the virus get out oh here we'll tell us it's, it's the final scene is is the actual story about how it got out mm. uh, i mean again that had been hinted at throughout the episode but the actual you know the sequence where we see that happening is the last thing we see in the episode so 
It's not exactly much of a revelatory or cliffhangery element to finish the first episode on. Is it like, oh, how did it get out? Oh, he ran. This has been directed, uh, and I think one of the key creative forces behind it, by Josh Boone. Probably mm. most recently well known for his um, – he was the writer-director, I think, on New Mutants, mm-hmm. uh, which we know what happened to that one. He was also responsible for Fault in Our Stars, which I haven't seen, but I know wasn't – it's got a good rating, but I didn't hear good things about it. But a, anyway. lot of pe- a lot of people seem to really like it. It's one of those movies that definitely has a crowd. Anyway, New Mutants, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they can blame Josh Boone for that. I haven't seen it. We should mm-hmm. get around and think that at some point, but uh, he may not be able to be blamed for that one. But, yeah, look, I mean, I'm going to stick with it because I'm curious to see where mm-hmm. it goes. Um, but overall, I'm. it was a pretty disappointing and pretty alienating way of telling us a story, right? I mean, I think it's a really, really lousy way to tell a story is to be constantly jumping back and forward in time to tell us stories of people, multiple characters at least. I, you know, it can be done fairly effectively, maybe if you're following one particular character. Like, you know, it, it's a fairly standard storytelling way. You know, you start at the end and you're like, hey, wow, you must think it's a really weird situation. How did I get here? Now let's just tell the story about how they got to that situation. That's Once fine. In a lifetime. Um, um, it's, so, yeah, it seems like it's... it's trying to be more intelligent than it needs to be i mean doing flashbacks and flash forwards where you have a story where oprah winfrey is going into your not oprah winfrey sorry Goldberg is coming into your dreams that's weird enough as it is and you're you're throwing different timelines in there as well you're right it's a very different it's i mean i don't envy the, the difficulty of them trying to convert a very, very long book. Mm. King books are, are famous for being mm. difficult. I do a whole fucking podcast about it. Um, you know, they're <laughs> difficult to translate into 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 film. Um, so I, I can I can sympathise with mm. the um, the director's uh, challenge here. But you're right; it's a complex and weird story. They didn't need to introduce so much flashing forward and flashing back. Yeah, um, and then I mean, even if they did do that, if they wanted to do that, then okay, you flash forward and flash back but then they flash forward again so we have our present and we're uh, constantly flashing back to the meet who here are the characters we met in the present let's find out how how they got to here by flashing back but then we flash forward from the present to then find out where they end up in six months from there um and you're right and that kind of kills the tension of like if you're new and you don't know the actual story because you haven't read the book or seen the previous show you might be looking at going, so Harold is obsessed with his neighbour, Franny, and mm. they are the only two survivors in their small Maine town. What a freak occurrence to be featured a town in wow. Maine. So in, original uh, for Stephen King. Uh, I should note there are lots of King Easter eggs in the show. I enjoyed that. Um, oh, yeah. That was like a, that the shop in town's called like the Dairy Hardware Store or something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but so we Harold's obsessed with Franny. They are the only survivors. They... By, they sort of yeah, get on motorbikes and they drive out of a town. Mm-hmm. And if you're new to the story, you might be thinking, well, what happens with Harold and Franny? You know, you, you, Harold, as I said, is, is shaping to be an antagonist and kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Franny seems fairly nice, fairly innocent. What's going to happen? We get a flash forward. It tells us where they end up in six months, so we know exactly what happens between the two of them. Wow. Um, so- and I'm just like, don't understand the creative decision there. That really was weird and killed the Kill it for me because I know what happened anyway. But I mean, it was just odd, and I didn't like it. And 
I found it. I think it'll confuse new viewers. I think if, who don't know the story, and I think it'll annoy other people who do know the story. Um, it, it was a very. It wasn't horrible. I mean, every now and again you get a show and you're like, oh god, I'm never going back to that. That is, you know, beyond awful. It's not beyond awful. It's watchable, but it's it's disappointing. It's a disappointing start. It was it was very average. I didn't like the creative the flashing back and forwards. It was it was unnecessary and yeah, it was it was really underwhelming. It it seems to be an issue with CBS because they're the people that started off with Star Trek Discovery and now this they are trying it feels like they're trying to identify themselves as deep thinking serious shows for for the serious viewer it kind of but reminds just, me of Twilight Zone. I think they were responsible for the new Twilight yeah, Zone. And it's sort of like, okay, you are just purposefully making your shows inaccessible with the illusion of them being, oh, you're just not smart enough to understand it. It's like, no. The You know, like making beans on toast, you don't need to make that fancy to get the same fucking effect. You You tell the fucking story and i'm sorry no one working at cbs or on this group has the writing skill of stephen king so why would you go you know what yeah this huge fucking project let's jump around all over the place because yeah we can handle this story better than king could and he told it in a linear fashion which makes complete sense by the way i mean there's the usual argument is and it's um unfilmable the way it is you know um that you know it needs work to be cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. I don't know. But um, it didn't work for me. Um, it was disjointed. Was the word? I think it was a bit of a disjointed mess. It was all over the shop, and it didn't really feel like it had a, a connecting story to follow through. Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to be. There are so many fucking characters in this book. It's going to be hard to follow as it is anyway. So yeah. um, I. It didn't need it. You're right. I, I again, it, it, actually, trying to think of um, the the um, the show that had been most disappointed in recently, and that would have been um, the Twilight Zone because I was so looking forward to that. Um, and no, uh, it was actually really lousy. <laughs> so um, it's it's disappointing, but they've kind of they've got me again. God damn it! But look, I'll, I'll hang in there. We'll see how it goes. We'll give it a few more episodes and. It'd maybe it'd be one of those shows like the Against the Shield effect, you know, like that's good. <laughs> good. At, le- at least this is a mini series, so it's like, you know, there's a finite amount. It's not like, oh yeah, we here comes season two, and th- they do the anime effect where halfway through a fight you have flashbacks, and then you have flashbacks within those flashbacks because it's like, oh, we're getting to the end too soon. Um, we need to fill it up. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. I hope. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of um, uh, I'm thinking of a uh, something like um, it was under the dome. There was a book that I really enjoyed, oh. um, and uh, it was just. And you, so I watched the first episode, and I was like, "No, I'm I'm never watching it again. That's awful." <laughs> and I think there were two or three scenes of that shit. Um, exactly. It's certainly not as bad as that, but it's it wasn't great. So that's disappointing. Yeah. Okay. 
Shall I talk about one of mine? By all means, I've been dominating the floor for five years. <laughs> I decided to get around to watching last year's, one of Netflix's um, specifically for the service movies. This is The King, directed by David Michaud, um, starring um, a young actor who is fucking amazing and going to be one hell of a powerhouse as he grows. He's only 24 years old and he's already delivering amazing characters. And that's Til uh, Timothy Chalamet. Um, also got a cameo by Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, Sean Harris is in there and it has a uh, Robert Patterson role in it. And he's actually really fucking good. This is another nod to him actually being a good actor and him making a big mistake with his career early on with Twilight for that um, respectability level, I guess. But it certainly did help his um, stardom for sure. Now, The King is, as written by Netflix, Hal, a wayward prince and heir to the English throne, is crowned Henry, uh, King Henry V after his tyrannical father dies. Now, the young king must navigate palace politics, the war his father left behind, and the emotional strings of his past life. That is a fair loose term of what this movie is. Um, it is an interesting look at a character, and it's inspired by a lot of the stories from William Shakespeare. Um, and it's co-written by... Um, where the fuck is he? Um, who he also star uh, co-stars in it? It's Joel Edgerton, and Joel Edgerton is getting a bit of a bit of a name for himself as a bit of a writer. But this is an interesting movie. I don't again. I don't know if I would recommend it much like The Widow, but again, it's a really good character movie, and incidentally, it does legitimate army versus army battle way better than game of thrones so anyone who says oh that's amazing if you like that you'll like this and there's a lot of that kind of necessarily house versus house thing but the political machinations of anyone becoming a king particularly in england during that time game of thrones inspired that shit this is this has got a lot in uh, in common with that so you probably like this if you like game of thrones but timothy chalamet is amazing and his slow evolution to becoming um instead of because when we first meet him he is abjectly determined to not take the throne he is the the rightful heir he is the firstborn son of the king ben mendelson in he's nearly invisible it's only really his voice that you kind of go Oh shit! Yeah, that's Ben Mendelsohn. Um, but he plays. He's got this fantastic antagonistic nature against his father. He is very outspoken about the fact that all of the wars that are happening uh, from Scotland and Wales are because of him being a cunt, frankly, and being a madman. And he doesn't want that. And his uh, younger brother gets um, is chosen to be the king. But um, 
he dies. And unfortunately, it's the same actor who played Tommen in Game of Thrones. So he's not got much luck. Um, and so he ends up being becoming this very reluctant king and learning how to maintain his own personal beliefs on how government and the country should be run and how um, the people are important. This is a very... I, this is probably a very, very romanticized version of King Henry V, but it's still very entertaining and the character goes through a lot. Timothy goes from this um, purposefully rebellious young man to, and even in his physicality, he's, he slowly rises and gets better posture throughout the movie as he kind of gains experience and gains command of his kingdom as well as command of himself and finding that balance between his own personal politics and the politics of the country as well as those in his court that he has to play chess with on a daily basis um the other um actor that i really want to um highlight here is sean harris sean harris is one of those uh faces and voices that you will go, oh, shit, yeah, that's him. He um, has appeared as Solomon Lane in a couple of the Mission Impossible movies. He was in 24-Hour Party People. Um, oh, he was Ian Curtis. He was so good in that. Yeah. So, yeah, so he is a really good actor, and he is given a really nice, juicy part to play here. Um, he plays William, uh, William Gascoigne. And how he interacts with the people around him, people above him in social status, below him. It's really intel. You can see him being very intelligent as a character. And Sean Harris makes some really intelligent, smart moves as an actor here as well. Um, there's not a single person that isn't pulling their fair share of the weight in this movie. And, when I say weight, there's a lot of literal weight as well because the costume is fantastic and it is the best looking, legitimately looks like true battle armor for arm, for the armed forces during that period. And it's just awkward to move in. They make a point of that and um, they use it to strategic benefit on um, the... Oh, fuck, it's completely gone out of my... Agincourt. Yes, the fields of Agincourt, where this legendary fight took place between the English and the French. And um, it's... Think... Uh, you wouldn't have seen it because you didn't do Game of Thrones, Travis, but uh, the, for everyone listening, think Battle of the Bastards um, combat, but better. Not bigger, not definitely not bigger, but just better and more true and you can see it playing out it's awkward you don't have these big swiping action sequence moments of people taking these long long swipes with their big swords and everyone's just sandwiched in and it just looks like a mosh pit with people in just heavy fucking metal slipping around on the mud just getting covered they're just beating each other with the butt of their swords because they don't have room to swing the sword or stab or anything like that it, it's just literally a fight in the mud and it's really well done uh and, the trivia, they had trouble with that scene because uh it was so warm but the mud kept drying up 
Which was a very unusual problem in England, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then true props to, as I said before, Robert Patterson. He plays the Dauphin, who mm-hmm. is um, related to the King of France. And he plays it with this ridiculously over-the-top um, stereotypical insulting French accent that he plays up purposefully to piss to try and piss off how the king and he just plays it and he's psychotic in his eyes and the way that he looks and the way that he moves and it is a great different role for him because he's not a pretty boy in this he is not a likable romantic guy at all he's a fucking asshole and he plays it brilliantly it's really really good to see i'm very very impressed um directed by david mccord as you said who is australian Mm -hmm. um didn't see him casting a few aussies in there Mm -hmm. um and the director of the outstanding animal kingdom yes correct um so he is a director to watch um i haven't seen it but apparently the rover is also very good as well um i'm excited to see what happens next his next project is called the operators um it's not got any cast it's not got any plot summary but i think that this is yet another young director who's really coming in and making interesting choices not necessarily financially viable because i mean animal kingdom whilst it did spawn a tv show over here wasn't exactly setting the the global box office alight and the king went straight to netflix maybe it was made for netflix i mean the the king it was yeah war machine as well which was also made for netflix a few Mm. years ago which i didn't like as much but um uh, I think gr- film grosses matter less on on the Netflix side of things. Mm. What matters to them, of course, is streams. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, in in um in the Netflix world, they don't tell you very much about how successful certain films their films go. They'll, every now mm. and again, they'll go, "Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah." The um Adam the Adam Sandler films who make they're super fucking successful. Like yeah, mm. everybody goes. Um, <laughs> And, I watch those movies so no one else has to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the only thing I can sort of assume from that is he made War, a war Machine, which wasn't very good, mm. um, and it did well enough to get him and punch more money to make The King, so mm. um, that, that must have done really well enough. I think The King is going to be one of those movies that consistently gets viewers just because of the various actors that are in it and particularly over this next you know we've been through nine ten months of covid going into the next year or so as people start going oh like i decided to watch this because timothy chalamet is going to play um, paul atreides in denis villeneuve's dune next year and i want to see more of his work i saw him in uh, little women which was another movie i really loved and I wanted to see more of his work. So I thought, okay, this doesn't look like the kind of movie that I like, but let's give, give this young guy a go. And I really liked it. And it's got Robert Patterson who next year, he's going to be seen as the Batman and people are going to go, cool. I want more of that. There's not going to be many big movies coming out into the cinemas over the next year and a half, ladies and gentlemen, there's really not. So you're going to be going into those back catalogs of the actors that you like, or the actors of movies, 
actors who appear in movies that do come out because they're new movies. You're going to be interested and then you're going to start going down individual rabbit holes. This is going to have people going to it because of who's in it. It's going to be a challenge for people to watch through because, again, it's very much a character-based story. It has not got lots of action. There is some action in it, but it's not your typical Hollywood action. This is very much in line with the kind of movie that Widows was trying to be. But I personally recommend this. I think it's a great movie. If you like those um, swords and battle fights, those period piece movies, character pe- uh, based movies, this has got a lot for you to enjoy in it. If you're looking for something that's just gladiator, no, nah, this ain't it. Sorry, this ain't it. Takes a little bit more attention and uh, concentration. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Uh, you, I would just like to give props to my co-host for a moment because last week you recommended a film. I think last week, a week before, you recommended a film called Palm Springs. Oh yeah, and I finally got it. I, I found time this week to watch that. Mm. I won't go over the plot again because George already did that. Um, I think it was last week or maybe the week before. Mm. Um, but here's a shock: I really fucking liked that Andy Samberg film, which is an absolute dross. What is the world coming to? I tell you, <laughs> it's got it, it. It takes that Groundhog Day idea and does something a little different with it, doesn't it? It does. Um, it's it, it's interesting at the way they sort of drop you straight in, and Andy Samberg's already been in there for God knows how long. Mm. Um, and we we sort of it's the interesting angle is that what if somebody joined Bill Murray? What if mm. Andy McDowell got trapped in Groundhog Day as well? What would that do? Um, and, you know, what if Ned Ryerson was occasionally shooting Bill Murray with an arrow? Like, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I, I won't go over it again because we already did that. I don't want to bore our viewers for plot points. It's basically another time loop film. And you might go, eh, I talked to someone about it today. But like, I've seen how many of them I've seen. I'm like, three. And they're like, Yes. <laughs> Groundhog Day and uh, Edge of Tomorrow and something else, um, you know. Uh, but anyway, so if this is really good. Andy Sandberg, there are minimal dick jokes. I was ready to hit close at the initial we we the masturbation joke in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that didn't set the tone for the rest of the film. Um, so that was that was quite it was quite a nice little film. It was enjoyable mm. um, and. There are some plot holes here and there. It wasn't quite as it wasn't as polished or as crafted as, as I would say Groundhog Day was. I don't think this is going to end up in the Library of Congress. No. Um, but it's it's fun. It's mm. it's a fun turn your brain off for ninety minutes, and it's ninety minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's in. Mm. It's funny. It's gone. Um, you know, uh, the cast is great. We talked about Andy Samberg, Christina Maloti, who's a deeply, deeply underrated actress. She's mm-hmm. fantastic in um, the episode of Black Mirror she was in. Um, she's the only thing I've seen her in apart from this. USS Callister. She was so good in that. <laughs> um, and uh, J.K. Simmons is J.K. fucking Simmons. He's always mm-hmm. fucking good. He's like, you never say he's, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I really quite liked um, Camilla Mendes as Tala. I was like, where mm. have I seen her before? She was in Riverdale. Yep. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, I just, 
really just enjoyed switching my brain and actually having an enjoyable escapist film which didn't have massive explosions in it mm-hmm. or you know it wasn't part of an existing property it wasn't a comic book film for a change which i really do like yeah. but yeah we all like something different occasionally so yeah. it was a nice it was and i i enjoy films that play with the concept of time so um yeah it was good. i liked it a lot well well worthy of its 83 meta score and 7.49 dv it's on prime i think hmm. um if you haven't seen it that's, that's <laughs> two thumbs up from both of us and you know how rare that is yeah so we are the curmudgeon and the contrarian <laughs> <laughs> change the name <laughs> no someone someone wants armchair producers i'm not giving it up <laughs> just because i'm stubborn <laughs> well if they have enough money yeah yeah okay um now do you want to talk about your um experiences with sylvester stallone i did so um my my friend monica who may not be talking to me at the moment um (laughs) uh i had dinner with my friend monica last night which is not important but i was at um at her apartment and we were going to watch a movie we got distracted um just talking instead and but the film we were gonna watch was the 2001 sylvester stallone classic formula one classic sort of formula one classic um driven uh and why we were going to watch it is we were flipping through movies on our hard disk and i said oh driven the thing i always remember about that film is the review i read that said that that the best way to sum this film up is they should have changed in the n changed the n in the title to an l which for those of you who can't spell would change the title to drivel Mm -hmm. summed up what the reviewer thought of the film and my friend monica was horrified that that was my impression of film. She said, what? I love that film. It's one of my favorite. I would say it's one of my favorite. She said she loved this film. And I was like, wow, I have never seen Driven. I don't think I've ever investigated seeing Driven. I've never heard anybody say anything good about Driven. But then again, I think the review it said it was Drivel was possibly the only thing I've ever <laughs> heard anybody say about Driven. And I always sort of think it came out the same year as The Fast and Furious, and they had very different project- uh, tra- trajectories from there, didn't they? I mean, mm-hmm. Haven't been too many driven sequels uh, <laughs> to make a billion dollars. <laughs> um, so I always kind of put them in the same bucket in my head. Oh no, it's nothing. It's nothing. Nothing. Nothing like uh, Fast mm. and Furious, and that is correct. That is true. It is nothing like that. Uh, what is it about? A young hotshot driver is in the middle of a championship season. Is coming apart at the seams. A former kart champion is called in to give him guidance. Uh, the film stars versus Stallone. He is the kart champion who's brought in to give guidance. The uh, young kart champion who is uh, falling apart at the seams, played by Kip Pardue, who plays Jimmy Bly. Kip Pardue, notable, anything I can think of ever seeing him in, was he was in Remember the Titans. Um, he was in Rules of Attraction as well. I have seen. That's a good film, but I don't remember mm. him in it. I think um, I remember the character's name. We have Till Schweiger playing the, uh, I guess, kind of the antagonist, Bo Brandenburg, which is like the most lame German name ever. Um, and he does play. I mean, Till Schweiger, if you don't know who that is, um, he was probably breakout role was in Run, Lola, Run back in the 90s. Um, more recently, he played Hugo Stiglitz in Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino. Uh, that's it. Uh, yeah. Gina Gershon is in this as well. The she of showgirls fame. Um, she was kind of the it girl in the late 90s. Um, she was in Face Off as well. 
but no one can ever, no one who's seen, seen showgirls can ever forget uh her role in showgirls <laughs> um it's it's just just has to be if you haven't seen it you really must uh notable it, it, Burt reynolds is in here who plays the team owner mm-hmm. this is uh unfortunately like i said i uh, i had made the potentially uh you know fatal mistake of telling my friend what i thought of this um when i said i think this film actually kind of does remind me a little bit of showgirls in it's uh in very much the last half of the film was kind of really so bad as good territory like this film is terrible mm. i'm sorry if you if you if you like this film and you find that offensive but <laughs> really badly made it's crap um so the characters is really badly written uh, in it, like I said, Till, um, Till Schweiger's um, Brandenburg is kind of the bad guy, kind of the antagonist, but he kind of has trouble staying on a, a character's path. Like he sort of jumps around all the places. Each scene needs him to do different things. Like um, so, he is the the Michael Schumacher, if you will, the character, mm. character, which would be accurate given the time. And he's kind of the the the, the champion, the veteran champion, who's uh, you know legendary for winning. A lot, and Kip Pardue's um, Bly, uh, Jimmy Bly is the up and coming. You know, think um, think uh, Cole Trickle from Days of Thunder. Yeah, um, okay. Character. I He's kind of the Tom Cruise character, who's sort of you know young and brash and coming up, and you know challenging the uh, the uh, established champion for his title. And at times, Till Schweiger's uh, Brandenburg is really arrogant and rude and brushes him off mm. but at other points he's actually very warm and empathetic towards other characters like pick a pick a pick a lane mate you know like if you want if you want to play him as the cold-hearted you know euro trash arrogant scumbag yeah he's a scumbag to everybody but there are scenes where like he'll be a complete dick to jimmy Bly. but you know um as i said stallone is sort of this you know, aged veteran to sort of try and keep Bly on the straight and narrow and try and coach him to be a better mm. driver. But he knows Brandenburg from his time driving and they'll have conversations as well, which will be very cordial, you know, and where, you know, Brandenburg will sort of let down that facade and actually show, you know, uh, sort of vulnerability, which is fine. And you might think, hey, but that's that's building character, but it doesn't make any sense in the actual context mm. of the actual plot or the scene. Um, the main sort of thrust here between the two of them is that um, initially uh, Bo Brandenburg is engaged to Sophia Simone, played by Estella Warren, who looks very familiar, but the only other thing I ever saw her in was the uh, Burton Plunder of the Apes film. Um, and Oh, yeah. They break up at the start of a film because, uh, t- you know, Brandenburg's being a dick, and she starts dating Jimmy Bly. And then two-thirds of a film, she just goes back to Brandenburg for no real discernible reason other than he goes, oh, hi, I kind of like fucking miss you. Wouldn't mind if you uh, fucking uh, came back to me, eh? Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of the extent of a conversation. It's like, it's like a five-minute conversation on a dance floor at, at a loud convention type thing. And, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, no worries, then, eh? Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> no, and then, like, I oh, love yeah, you. You're fucking, fucking drop day, Jimmy, eh? Hey, fuck off. Um, and that's that would have made more sense. Um, it, it doesn't, the characters don't have any kind of consistency, they don't have an arc, they don't stick to what they, they do, whatever each scene needs them to do, 
And if that means mm. they are the opposite of what they were five minutes ago, then so be it. Um, Gina Gershon's character makes no sense why she's here at all. Uh, she's she's the uh, Sylvester Stallone's ex-wife who's actively hostile towards him and okay. is married to he, a another driver called Memo, played by Christian De La Fuente, which is a great fucking name. De La Fuente. Um, and the thing is, Memo and uh, Stallone's character, Joe, Memo and Joe get along famously. They like each other a lot, but, but Gina Gershon treats him like a complete cheese, treats Stallone like he... He, you know, pissed in his, her mother's face or something like it's like. This kind of sounds like it might have been the inspiration behind Talladega Nights. I can see that. That might have made sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking the um the evil Euro driver character kind of actually makes me yeah. think a little bit of the um Ricky uh, Bobby and uh, calling you out. Yeah, that would make. I could absolutely see them being inspired by this. Except this is actually quite funny in of itself. Like the, the amount of crashes in the races is astounding. Like especially <laughs> in the third act, like there are like like you know multiple multiple car crashes, like many multiple car crashes in a single race, and All it's right. like just like crashing into a wall. These cars take off and they fly like through the sky and stuff like that, and do flips and and the, the special effects look really terrible. Um, oh, no. I mean, you know, it's, it's a 19-year-old film, but, you know, they're not good special effects. Um, so the cars look really – they look like bad effects from a PlayStation 2 game or something like that. And, like, <laughs> it, and they just, like, explode in giant flames. Like You're sort of going, well, hang on a second. Crashes like this in, in this form of racing are very serious. Like, mm-hmm. like, they can be kill- – people are killed and injured quite regularly in, in the world yeah. of um, Formula 1. At least they were back in the day. Um, and it's just one or two of these that probably cancel for fucking race because people would have been killed. And they're yeah. like, and they just, like, they just keep going. <laughs> just like, get them up. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, and the most hilarious scene in the entire film. I know I'm spoiling it for everybody here, but like, I trust me, I'm doing you a favor. Um, so <laughs> there's, there's a racing, and um, Memo is in the race in this particular occasion. So occasionally at different points in time, uh, Memo. Is Bly's teammate in other occasions? It's Joe, who's Memo is um, Bly's teammate. In this case, Memo is doing the racing with, mm-hmm. uh, and he's supposed to be the second driver. If you know anything about sort of, was not Formula One because they couldn't get the rights to use Formula One, but it's something called kart racing, which is similar. Mm-hmm. You know, like that you'll have the good driver and the other guy who's there just to sort of try and support him, if that makes sense, block other mm-hmm. cars, and you know, not there yeah. necessarily to win. Memo's the guy who's there not necessarily win, but he decides to try and take over and win the race, despite the fact he's been told not to. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, has one of his spectacular flippy flying crashes through the air and lands in the lake. Maybe there are racetracks somewhere with lakes. I don't know. And the thing is, they're like, oh, he's had a horrible crash. And blah, blah, blah. The commentators are saying it takes, rather than having like the, um, the uh the, the um the, the actual rescue people go and go and sort of you know uh rescue the um driver who crashed mm. uh first of all jimmy bligh stops reverses and drives back to where the crash was and drives out across the actual grass in a formula one car or something like it to where the fucking lake is and gets out and jumps into the lake and tries to pull memo out of his now wrecked on fire car and like a minute later 
Like uh, by this point in time, uh, Sophia is now back with Bo Brandenburg till Schrieger. He goes, mm -hmm. Oh, Memo's had a crash. Bly's going back to get him. So he does the same thing. He stops his car and drives off and drives up to the lake in the middle of a race and gets out of his car. And so the two, the world champion of whatever this is, kart racing, and his heir apparent, one and two in, in the world kart racing championships, drive to this lake, get out of their cars, and try and flip the other guy's car over and pull him out of it while it's on fire. During which time, absolutely no rescuers, professional fire people and rescue people are there or turn up. At no point do they turn up. And they manage to pull him out of the car, at which point in time fuel starts leaking out of it and a tree falls over and it sets it on fire and it's a big explosion. <laughs> I didn't oh, realize trees were so explosive. The dumbest thing I have ever seen. Like one of them, it's up there. It's it's showgirls level stupid. Wow. Like completely. You know, every now and again, it it probably seemed like a cool idea, maybe in the script. But like when you film something like that, that is the most ridiculous concept. I mean, like this is not. If this was Talladega Nights, then maybe that would work because that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's a parody. This is not yeah. a parody. You're playing it straight back. This is supposed to be a story about race car drivers and, you know, the stresses and strains of being a race car driver and how that's, you know, hard work and yada, yada, yada. But it, it was just the most ludicrous thing that race car drivers would abandon a race to try and rescue someone. That just wouldn't happen in any kind of professional motorsport. I kind of feel like this This is real, my real naivete, but... Do those kinds of cars even have a reverse gear? Potentially not. I mean, I, I because don't Because they're, they're designed to just go forwards. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene also. <laughs> it's like now parallel film. park for me. <laughs> there's a second, second dumbest film, scene in the film, which is potentially, would in any other film, would be easily the dumbest. Um, they're at a reception, and okay. um, there are lots of um, cars. They're not actual Formula 1 cars, but they look like Formula 1 cars, on display. At this reception, that's the reception where Sophia dumped. He goes, "Oh yeah, you're fucking dumped, eh?" To um to uh, Jimmy, and in his rage at wanting to get back at uh, at Brandenburg, he steals one of the Formula Racing Formula One racing cars for one of it and drives off into the night. At which point, Stallone's uh, Joe uh, jumps in one of the others and takes off after him, and they go for a, a, a race, almost a, like a almost a chase through downtown Chicago. I think it is. <laughs> And at which point, like, they're driving through tunnels and shit, and Stallone is leaning over going, pull over! Now, have you ever been to the Formula One Grand Prix here in Melbourne? No, but you can hear it. You can hear it from, from everywhere. Like, it, it, at least, I know they've actually, they've actually made the cars quieter now, believe it or not. But I used to go occasionally back in the early 2000s. I had free tickets. They're <laughs> fucking loud. Yeah. They are insanely loud. Like, you can feel the actual noise if you're in it. Like, and this guy, Joe, is a, is a veteran driver of these types of vehicles. He was surely, I mean, you'd be going fucking deaf because they're not wearing helmets or any kind of ear protection. So being in that car, no ear protection going that fast would be very bad. But trying to yell at somebody in a car a couple of metres away, in a tunnel, no less. I haven't seen you since grade school. And, and it's like, I was like, oh, I'm sorry, maybe it's just me being nitpicking. Maybe I'm being nitpicky, but I'm like, he would have absolutely no chance of hearing that. Why would he even try? Give in to the story. Uh, it's uh, not our world. 
I know enough about them, these cars or these types of vehicles, to know that that is not very realistic. So, well, you um, did offer to come and help me buy a car, so you are the mechanic. I am obviously, I am, I am something of an expert on a car. I've seen these cars operate. Now, that's about as much or something like I can, I can operate a cart. If it's worth Formula One racing, they've um, actually, I think they, the Formula One guys wanted too much money to use their trademarks and such. So they actually used what was called kart racing, which was like a knockoff version of indie cars, if you're familiar mm. with those. Uh, it doesn't even exist anymore. But for want of a better term, they're basically Formula One cars, but they're very loud. So mm, yeah, um, they have a Formula One car race through downtown Chicago, and they get fined 25 grand by the race company, the uh, championship, the kart racing championship people. Oh, never mind they the police. They are? Are not. Despite endangering many lives and these cars would be worth a lot of it. I'm just going way too deep into this and it just didn't seem made no sense at all. I mean, aside from the fact it didn't really make sense what Jimmy took off like that. I've been, oh, I'm really angry. I'm going to go in the car and drive really fast. But at which point um, Joe and Jimmy weren't really friends. We hadn't established any kind of proper relationship. Joe's trying to build a relationship with Jimmy, but he's not been successful at this point in time. And getting through to him as being, hey, I'm here to help you. So why he would take off, he goes, Jimmy, no, and get in the car and chase after him. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. There's no motivation for Joe to do that. Why would he do that? Um, so, Jimmy's I mean, a good guy. It kind of betrays that. Joe. <laughs> Films where someone, someone is called Joe, but someone's probably done a stat on that. <laughs> I, I, I'm probably looking too deep with this. I'm thinking way too hard, but like, their character's motivation was murky and made no sense. There was no real protagonist or antagonist. They were very wishy-washy in a sense like, is the protagonist um, Jimmy or is it Joe? They don't really know. Is the antagonist uh, uh, Brandenburg or is it sometimes it's Burt Reynolds? Sometimes it's um, Jimmy's brother. Don't know. Uh, it's it's all over the shop. And uh, I think Stallone actually said at one point in time, someone asked him if there's any films he regretted being involved with, and this is one of them. He wrote this, though. Yeah, and he said he wished he hadn't done it. <laughs> so I wish I hadn't that. written it. God oh, damn it, I found myself axing it, too. The interesting thing is Stallone's original script was 220 pages long. I'm astounded what that would have looked like. And apparently wow. the original director's cut was four hours long. This is a two-hour film, which is much too long for a film like this. This could have done 90 minutes. It shouldn't have run over 90 minutes. But four yeah. hours of this, and apparently there are 51 extra minutes of extra content on the DVD. So um, <clears throat> I would be – part of me is fascinated to know what that is. But um, yeah, I don't think I really have the motivation to sit through this film again with an extra 50 minutes of content. Yeah. It was amusing. I was very amused. It was. This is not like Death Machine, which we saw a little while ago, which was just, oh, would you please end this uh, film? This film was a different kind of awful. This was so bad, it was good. It's his father's under showgirls, get stoned, get drunk, if you're allowed to get stoned in your jurisdiction, um, and enjoy it. It's ridiculous, but kind of funny at the same time, which didn't mean to be, but it is. <laughs> There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's driven. That's that, driven. That, I've seen Dri one driven film. I've seen one Fast and Furious film, so that's equal. Yeah. 
I'm not going to um, talk too long about the the only other thing that I've really been watching, and that is because I am very much jonesing for more Dune. I just re-listened to the to the novel on Audible, and it's fantastic. Anyone who has been going, oh, you know what they they should do like a Game of Thrones sort of thing in space, Dune. Dune is Game of Thrones in space, and it's a lot better as well. Um, but um, they have, as we've talked about in the past, JoeBlow.com did a great uh, what the fuck happened to this movie because um, it was, it, it might be considered one of the weirdest box office bombs. Um, who directed it? I'm blanking now. David Lynch. David Lynch, yes. David Lynch directed June from like 1984. It had a cameo by Sting. It had Patrick Stewart in it, Carl McLaughlin. Um, Virginia Madsen was in it. It was all over the shop. It was bizarre, bizarre thing, but really interesting. Um, and in the early 2000s, the Sci-Fi Channel did a miniseries of it, which is not great. But, but anything does... from the sci-fi series, sci-fi channel has its name on it. Wow. Battlestar mm. Galactica was good. I think over the years their names kind of been taken yeah. to be they, they have they have purposefully kind of gone out to destroy their own name, I think. Yeah. Um but the Dune miniseries is not awful. It's not good, but it'll satisfy me hopefully for the time being until uh, Danny Villeneuve's tune comes out, and I have high hopes for that. Um, but it's if you genuinely, the, all I really wanted to say is for any viewers out there who do like the idea of Game of Thrones in space, that is what Dune is. I really recommend reading the book. I really, really um, recommend you investing time into this and anyone who says to you oh it's like star wars in space no it's fucking not it's not it's not it's not that is a marketing line that some people try and do because they want to cash in on the star wars uh, name and go oh it's star wars for adults like, no it's not it's just not it's a different type of beast this is much more political there is a lot of action in it and in the book it's actually really good action and there's a lot of lore and mythology and history about all the characters about all the worlds about the relationships between the um between the houses going back thousands and thousands of years it's really good if you like that kind of stuff from song of ice and fire saga or the lord of the rings and any of that kind of fancy stuff this is it sci-fi version and it's amazing it was the 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 novel when it released was i think it was the first um nebula prize winner or something like that because it was such a different type of story for that genre and it was so well presented it's not a hugely long book to read through it is something that you can consume and i, th I think the audible thing is maybe maybe 25 hours i don't know yeah but it's it's really good it's probably actually less than that but it's really really well done so um 21 there you go. yeah two minutes. um it doesn't feel like it it's it maybe you like it i mean i've seen the, the the film and i had absolutely no idea what was going on um i don't think that's an unusual experience from watching 
either A, a David Lynch film, or B, Dune. So, you know, <laughs> um, it's Duneception right there. Um, <laughs> I'd be fascinated to – I'd be curious to see it because I know a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine love the books. Some really quite like the Lynch film. Um and I'm just people who are, whose opinions I respect. Um, yeah. Say the source material is really good. I think we talked about off air, but no matter how this comes out, it will probably come out at cinemas here. I think, mm-hmm. assuming things stay good on the COVID front, uh, I think we'll see it in, in theaters in Australia. It's going straight to, to HBO Max in the US. Um, yep. I doubt that'll happen here because we don't get HBO Max, so um, I don't think it'll go straight to Foxtel. Yeah, uh, the HBO, you know, equivalent here. Um, so, but I think it's going to bomb. If it goes, even if it goes to cinemas in the US, it'll bomb. Yeah. No one's going to go and see this. I don't know how it keeps getting money. I mean, that's not, so it's going to be a bad film. We yeah. both love Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and yeah. that bomb's huge. Um, yeah. No one's going to go see a three hour movie about a prop about some weird space shit, which no one has read the, unless you've read the book, and that's a tiny. Mm-hmm. portion of his audience but i mean i wish him all the best i mm-hmm. think Denis Villeneuve is a genius mm-hmm. possibly the most talent most hot female he hasn't made a bad film no yeah no, he is not so, i mean every single one of them has been different and they've been good so if he anyone can pull it and people said lord of the rings was unfilmable yeah and then peter jackson said hold my beer yeah um, <laughs> let's, let's go and make a squillion dollars um and you know, maybe Denis Villeneuve can do the same with Dune, but I don't know if Dune quite has the cachet of Lord of the Rings. It, I think it has the potential to, but I think is there's also a lot of kind of um, baggage around Dune. There's that idea of, oh, it's, it's really weird and twisted, isn't it? Because David Lynch directed it. It's like... Uh, yeah it, it is weird and twisted but it's only phraseology and terminology much like the first time someone heard the word lightsaber or a jedi it's l- learning the words of the world but it, um, it, obviously it's just it we're packaged in a nice way in star wars mm-hmm. i doubt to be packaged quite as easily consumable as as lucas did yeah but yeah. I, i'm fascinated to see it like you i don't know if i'm going to go to the extent of watching the miniseries. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Denny, and there's still talk today, but maybe it'll go to cinemas over here. He's suing them or something to get it done. I don't know, but I don't know. We'll, but, we'll see. Well, it, hopefully we, it'll, I think it's probably the first half of next year, maybe. Uh, no, second half, October, 2021. It's been pushed a whole year, but I don't know whether that's going to change now because, it, because of this whole HBO max thing. I really don't know, but I would like to bring everyone's attention to breaking news. I patted my dog's butt. Look at this flower. Archimedes. <laughs> he is full into summer coat mode. That is just one tiny element of fluff. Look at it. That, that, that. So, didn't you make another dog out of a fluff once? Uh, well, Shay managed to make a ball, no joke, about this big that was hard from his own fluff. Yes, we're talking about you. Why do you keep hiding under me, huh? But, yeah, I think on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I've exhausted my conversation on Dune. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk I, about? I think that's, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's a full lid uh, for this week. Yeah, um, so. You are a very tired man after a crazy afternoon of cab rides and feeling sick in the car. Yep. We need to get thee to bed. 
And never, um, never mind that, but it's just retail at Christmas time is also it. That's just the that's just the cherry on the top. I went down to my local shopping center today to get a gift card from a shop, and now oh yeah, we're sold out of so, gift cards. Yeah, fuck them. Anyway, so I bought it off a website, which isn't what I wanted to do, but like you know, uh, because I'm a man, I left it to the last minute. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what heroes do. That's what heroes do. Um, <laughs> but it was thoroughly, thoroughly unpleasant to be anywhere where people are at the moment, and you have to wear a mask all day. That makes it hard. Um, so we 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 give our hat to George for 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 soldiering through tonight. Thank you. I suffer so that you people don't have to. <laughs> so next week we are going to be talking about either girl fight or gone girl if we can get hold of girl fight we will talk about that but if not we will be going to gone girl i am going to actually in invest a bit of money and watch new mutants because i'm curious to see how much of a mistake that movie is um and i'm sure that we will have a few more bits and pieces to talk about we may possibly not actually have a show next week depending on what happens with me working as well as it being the turn of the new year and who knows how 2020 is going to try and end itself (laughs) uh we will do our best it is the festive season stuff happening things are moving we don't know we're very busy Uh, people we are (laughs) <laughs> I was going to try and keep a straight face. Uh, I just couldn't. That was funny. Um, but some of us are busy, uh, and, and some people like me uh, have a dog that doesn't let me leave the house. Yeah. So, um, but we will be back before too long, I think. Yes. Can say that, much. That, is, that is a good political way of putting it. So it is good night from me. It is good night from him. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll see you next time.